1: Welcome to Dear Prudence. I'm your prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Today, we'll be responding to letters about when to tell your child you've had an abortion, whether it's okay to ghost friends who don't respect your reproductive choices, and how to deal with a spouse who is an art monster, also known as a slob. Here to help me out is my guest, Jessica Valenti. She's been writing about women in politics for nearly 20 years. She founded one of the first feminist blogs, has published seven books, and currently writes the Abortion Everyday newsletter, where she publishes nonstop updates on what's happening with abortion rights. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thank you for having me. So before we get started, I want to give you the floor to give everyone one piece of unsolicited advice.
2: This was a really hard prompt for me. This was really difficult because I feel like I have way too much unsolicited advice.
1: I thought that. I was like, this will be easy. You just seem like you would have a lot.
2: (laughs) But but no, but that makes it more difficult because then it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, I really have to like distill down. And so I tried to like fit like a couple of different things into one piece of advice. Which is, I always say, like, I'm a big believer of minding your own business. Hmm. Um, but especially when it comes to what other people think about you, like, mind hmm. your own business about yourself. I don't want to know what people think about me. You shouldn't want to know what other people think about you. Um, and, and that's sort of like the second piece of advice, which is don't worry if not everyone likes you. Hmm. Um, I, I feel like likability has become way too much it's always been a trap especially for women but especially since social media like where you can literally like every single thing yeah Um. it's just i don't know i worry about it and i feel like you're not doing something right if everyone likes you and so just to like be a little bit chiller about that and also it won't last and also everyone doesn't even like
1: Beyonce. Like if everyone doesn't like Beyonce, you're, you're destined right. to fail.
2: You're not for everyone. Like there's always someone who you are not going to be for. And that's, that's
1: fine. Easier said than done, yes. but um, I'll work on it. I can't <laughs> say I'm there. Nor am I. I'll, I will try to get there. Jessica and I will dive into your questions after a short break.
3: Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com
4: and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Can't get enough of Dear Prudence? Then you should definitely join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. You'll get to hear me answer an extra question every week just for members like today's episode with my husband and fellow Slatester, Joel Anderson.
3: There's a clip of our friends on Instagram singing Donnell Jones, Where I Want to Be, which is about a man who wants to leave his woman so he can go out (laughs) and have as much sex as possible. They're singing that song at our our wedding reception.
1: I thought you picked songs for just the feelings they evoke. With your subscription, you get ad-free listening across the Slate Network and unlimited reading on the Slate site, including all Dear Prudence columns, past and present. Go to slate.com forward slash prudy plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. Again, that's slate.com forward slash prudy plus. Welcome back. You're listening to Dear Prudence, and I'm here with Jessica Valenti. Let's get started with our first letter titled, I Just Want to Pray in Peace.
5: Before we were married, I, she, her, told my husband that it was important to me to attend weekly services for our shared religion, whether he joins me or not. When we go, I wake up early and get our toddler and myself ready. He makes us very late, sits sullenly, doesn't talk to other people, and then is grumpy and snappish with me even though we leave early. Then he seems to think that it was so wonderful that we went and I must be so happy. Uh, I'd rather go alone. I've said that I'm happy to take our toddler alone so that he can sleep in. He still wants to all go together because it's, quote, important for us to go as a family and, quote, I know it's so important for you to go. He means it, too. He really thinks that he's doing something nice for me that's important to me. I don't think he really gets how his behavior makes me feel. How do you tell another adult that they need to get up on time, pack a snack if they need it, pretend to be happy, or else not come at all? I can't figure out how to talk about this without making it an ultimatum.
1: So I feel like her husband um, might have missed out on one of the main rules of marriage, which is that if you show up, but you're in a bad mood (laughs) and you bring the vibes down, you actually don't get credit. Yeah, you don't get credit for showing up. Yeah, those are negative Um, points yeah it doesn't being physically present doesn't count if you're stressing everyone out no no and like the acting like he's
2: doing her a favor too is
1: what like really needles
2: me a little bit you know what i mean like he's not he's not doing anyone favors by showing up and being grumpy
1: and it's not fair because he's he gets to feel like he's done something he's probably patting himself on the back for it like giving himself husband points um on the big mental score sheet of marriage right but he doesn't realize that he's actually making things (laughs) worse and he could just stay in bed and meet them for brunch afterwards. Right. And do even better and be like
2: cheerful and like bring the mood up and like make it an even better day. Maybe that's the answer to like do something together after the services.
1: I honestly think that's after I kind of unpacked this in my head, that's where I came out. But I think my advice for her is that it's going to have to involve how to get him to sign on to that plan. Yeah. Without feeling like he's losing the points that he was getting for going to church. You know what I mean? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. No, I do. I mean, it's hard because it's like on the one hand, one part of myself would want to say very clearly, like you are being a complete asshole. This is ridiculous. Like really just Mm -hmm. lay into him. That would be my immediate reaction. But in terms of actually wanting to get something done and make this situation better, I feel like having a conversation that sort of acknowledges I know you're doing this for me. I know you're doing this because you care about me and you're trying and you care about my happiness. And and that's why you're getting up early. And you're obviously putting yourself Mm -hmm. through a lot and you seem really unhappy. And I don't want to make you unhappy. And since, Mm -hmm. since I know you care about my happiness and that's why you're doing this, let's actually figure out, like figure out a way to make me happy.
1: I love the way you said that. That's so good. good. I'm glad. Can we talk about your marriage? We can talk about my marriage. (laughs) So I know Jessica outside of this podcast, and I feel like you have a really nice marriage. I mean, I don't know everything, but you and Andrew just seem to really enjoy each other, do. Um, respect each other, just really like a- appreciate who the other person is. Do you have stuff that you quote unquote drag him to, or does he drag you to stuff? How do, how do you two handle that? I think, I don't know about drag
2: him to, I think he doesn't have much of a choice in how much we hang out with my family, I think, like, mm. right, right now, we're literally spending July in my parents house in, in upstate New York. And that's hard, you know, old aging, aging Italian parents are not like the most fun people to be around. I've got to tell you, <laughs> they're not the best mm-hmm. and his whole family is on the West Coast. And so we really are like, hanging out a lot with my family, like all of our traditions really center around my family. And I think that that can be difficult, but he handles it. Well, I think I feel like he's actually mm-hmm. he's, he's pretty good at it. And in most things actually I think that one of the reasons we get along so well is that we're very comfortable doing things separately. Like we have such different tastes when it comes to movies and TV. Like we never watch television mm-hmm. shows together. It's like maybe hmm. once a year we'll find something that we both like. But for the most part it's like I'm going to watch this, you're going to watch that. It's fine. We'll come together at another point. I don't know. I just feel like having your own stuff.
1: Yeah that probably helps a lot so you're not constantly putting someone in a situation that they don't want to be in. Right
2: and I gotta tell you I don't want to watch his stuff. I really don't. Like I don't want to watch a right. million Ken Burns documentaries. Like I'm not interested I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like I appreciate that he is like a smart person who likes to watch a lot of documentaries but that's not me.
1: And he lets you pass on that and is fine with it. He's not like bullying you into it. Right. Into sitting we, down with we him. We
2: have actually figured out because I like horror movies a lot um, and he likes documentaries, we've figured out that Love is Blind is our sweet spot, because it is that perfect combination of, of documentary horror show. And we're like, okay, this this works somehow.
1: That's amazing. We love Love is Blind, too. So going back to the letter, just to unpack, I did sort of a closer reading of it. And I realized that there are a few things going on here as far as what the husband's doing wrong. Makes us late, sit silently doesn't talk to others is grumpy and is snappish I think you kind of have to let go sit silently and doesn't talk yeah. to others yeah it's church that's fine it's not a party it's not a wedding I think another rule of marriage I'm just making them up here as I go along do so you kind of let have to let your partner have their moods you of know? Course. Like, your partner is allowed to be not happy, not feeling social, um, and it doesn't mean they're being rude or trying to hurt you, and you have to just kind of, like, be Mm -hmm. at peace with that, or else you'll be really frustrated trying to monitor, like, their disposition all the time. But I do think the making us late and being snappish are not okay. Right. So, that's what I would want her to focus on. That's smart. Yeah, in the letter, she says, I don't think he really gets how his behavior makes me feel. And then she goes on to say, um, how do you tell another adult they need to get up on time and pack a snack? Well, it sounds like we're missing the part where she tells him how these things make her feel. So I think there's like a step before you need to pack a snack where she actually tells him, you know, the famous I statements, you know, when I like dropped my Bible in church and you like yelled at me it made me feel really hurt. Or when you were still shaving and me and the baby were in the car and we ended up being late and we walked in and everyone turned around. I was really frustrated and embarrassed. Like these are the reasons I don't want you to go if you can't be all in. Um, And then I think she should pivot to your idea, which is like, I know that you're trying and you're doing it because you love me. Why don't we figure out a way where we can all meet for breakfast or brunch or a trip to the park afterwards and, I would appreciate that so much. I think she needs to tell him that she would really, really appreciate. Yeah. He wants, she has to give him the the points points a different way. He He doesn't want to feel like the points are being taken away. He just needs a different place to earn them that allows him to like sleep in and be in a good mood. So (laughs) good luck. Let us know how that turns out. Our next question is titled, is honesty the best policy?
0: My son is mostly liberal, but hangs out with a variety of kids who hold a lot of different beliefs. This past weekend, he came home and said something a bit dismissive about being pro-choice, then backtracked and said he still believes in a woman's right to choose. My daughter was pretty upset with what he said, as were we, his parents. What he doesn't know is that his father, my husband, and I have chosen to end two pregnancies. One of the kids' favorite aunts has done the same. Our kids don't know about any of these experiences. Obviously, we feel this is a very important right, the ability to control when we have children, and the easy route would be to tell a personal story about how abortion impacted us. We have decided that might be too emotionally charged and are going a different route to get through to him about the importance of a woman's right to choose. This situation has led us to discuss if we should or should not disclose to the kids our history one day. We are concerned about telling them because I work a job where it could impact my career if it got out. Education, the biggest battlefield currently. And we also don't want it to upset them, the possibility of a potential older, younger child when they've both wished they had more siblings, and sway them against abortion. However, this is a well-known secret in our hometowns because we told the wrong people when we were young. So the likelihood someone will tell my kids one day is not zero. I also hate family secrets, and I'm not ashamed, just cautious in this political climate. And finally, I was on birth control with all four pregnancies. It just doesn't work for me, and my daughter should probably know that. We think we should wait until they are older, but is it weird to tell them so late? The right to choose did impact them in our family life, allowing us to not become teen parents and also not have a baby after I was 40. If we decide to tell them what is the right age, how?
1: So, um, Jessica, I think this question came in several months ago. Yeah. And knowing that I might one day have you saved on the show, it for I put it. I saved it for you. <laughs> Good, I'm glad. I'm gonna kind of turn it over here. Yeah, I mean I say tell
2: and and tell right away. Mm. Um I honestly think it's sort of this opportunity has come up with the sun. Um, making these comments. And so it's sort of like this open door of, hey, you know, you said this thing the other day, and it made me think about maybe we should have this conversation. Um, it doesn't say in the in the letter how old the kids are.
1: No, it doesn't. So
2: obviously, like, it it sounds to me if the, the kid is having these conversations with friends, it sounds to me like middle school, high school, like that sort of age. But even if it was younger, I feel like there are a ton of age appropriate ways that you can have this conversation um, about abortion. My daughter Layla knows about the two abortions that I've had. Um, I started talking about it when she was very young, when she was five or six, not in a like sitting her down sort of way, but Mm -hmm. in a very like normalized, like, yeah, and then your dad and I met and then this happened. And then we had a baby and then we, you know, didn't want to have a baby because it wasn't, you know, safe. So I feel like there's a Mm -hmm. lot of, you know, the language that you can use, obviously will, will depend on the kid's age. But I think it really is a good opportunity because of because of the son and, you know, she mentions at the bottom um, that, you know, an abortion allowed them not to be teen parents. And so that's, right. that's also a really good opportunity to say, you know, we have this family that we love and abortion made this family possible, right? Mm-hmm. Like, who knows if those kids would exist if it wasn't for that abortion. Um, and so I think it's a way to really drive it home and and personalize and people should know that this isn't just a policy issue, right? It is is some—it is something that impacts so many families and so many people. And I think waiting and waiting until they're older sort of attaches this shame to it um, right. that that isn't really there. And certainly mm-hmm. for the daughter, if there's any sort of like genetic component to, you know, not being great with birth control and birth control not working, that is something she needs to know like ASAP
1: doesn't it feel like the letter writer is sort of maybe unintentionally buying into some of the stigma that serves the anti-choice side. So even like describing it as something that's too emotionally charged to talk about or feeling like she needs to give the excuse. I was on birth control and it Mm -hmm. just didn't work. Like Mm -hmm. in other words, I wasn't irresponsible. Like I wasn't some out of control person. Um, Her need to kind of bring those things up to me tells me that she's actually still like intellectually Mm pro-choice, but inside and emotionally she really has um internalized a lot of the stigma and shame around abortion
2: yeah and it sounds like if she's concerned about her job it sounds like and her you know neighbors and stuff like that people in their town it sounds like maybe the community that she is in is not super pro-choice either which obviously is going to impact her own feelings um but yeah but you know and that's even a, a better reason to talk about it now like you maybe have this shame and stigma your kids don't have to have that shame and stigma, Mm -hmm. right? It it can sort of be a moment of like breaking that cycle and, and normalizing in a way that wasn't normalized for you.
1: I wonder if she can get to a place where she can have this conversation in a way that doesn't make her son pick up on sort of how heavy Mm. I don't want her to, like you said, sit him down and like cry and 100%. give him these messages about the secrecy and stuff because to me that wouldn't serve the purpose of like normalizing it or helping him understand her side he might just think oh my mom is like did something kind of bad you know yeah,
2: yeah. no 100 percent. i think i mean i wonder if maybe like sitting him down and asking questions like hey hmm. you know i've been thinking about that thing that you said the other day and you know i know it was a little bit ago but i just wanted to talk about it more and like Where did you hear that? And what do you think about people who have abortions? And like, how do you Mm. think, you know, and just, I feel like, I feel like when you ask a lot of questions, the opportunity sort of presents itself during those conversations and you just sort of wait for that moment. And I feel like if she keeps asking questions, she'll figure out the right point to say, well, actually you know, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about this is because abortion really impacted our family's lives. And and here's how, but yeah, it's, it's hard if she has all of this stigma around it. And if she's carrying around, you know, shame or embarrassment or or anything else, it's, it's going to be hard for her, it's going to be hard for her to, to talk about it. My mom told me about her abortion, when I was an adult, after I had an abortion, like she, Hmm. she didn't tell me about it. Um, for years and years and years. uh, And then right before I met Andrew, a couple of months before I met Andrew, my husband, I had an abortion. And that's when my mom told me, and I remember being shocked, like not Hmm. scandalized, but I remember being shocked. And I still think about, this is something I do for a living. I'm, you know, I write about feminism. I write about reproductive rights, but still in my mind somewhere, I was surprised because she's such like a good mother. She's such a a traditional mother um and so it it was surprising to me even the stigma i carried around and so i don't think having some of that stigma in you is a problem or should be a hurdle it's just a matter of recognizing it you know and again like layla my daughter knows hey guess what you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the abortion i had right before i met your dad and I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for the mm-hmm. abortion I had when you were three. And and so to her, it's something that is very built into the idea of families and building families. And when you think about it, and when you look at the reality of what abortion is like, abortion really does build people's lives and, and families and allows them to have the lives that they do. And, and so I think talking about it in that sort of like neutral or positive way can be helpful.
1: That's a great way to frame it. And I, I like the idea of the letter writer pointing out, it's not that you would have had these siblings and you don't have them. Exactly. It's that you, you might not have been here. Our family would have taken a totally different path that might not have ever involved you.
2: Right. Like, I'm so grateful that I had this choice because I love our family so much. And our family is so wonderful. And it wouldn't be the same if it wasn't for, right. for that option.
1: Just real quick, given what I think this is me as a coastal elite just naive person um looking at the letter wondering based on what you know of like the lay of the land of the country and abortion attitudes and beliefs is the letter writer um being realistic when she thinks that maybe like someone in town will hear that she had an abortion and tell her child and that or or that it might impact her professionally down the line like are these kind of rumors and gossip like ruining people's lives in a real way? I mean, I think it
2: depends with the job stuff. I mean, certainly she would have a good legal case, but like we have seen it, you know, I don't know what kind of educational institute she works for, but if it's a Catholic one, mm. they could fight I mean, we've seen that happen. We've seen people be fired because they let it slip that they were um, living with their partner before marriage. Um, and so there could be a real concern there. I, I get that with the, the rumor mill stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure that that happens. And I'm sure that probably feels really bad, especially if you are carrying around that stigma yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that she has to sort of work on internally, because, again, people are always going to talk, don't worry about what other people think about you, or, you know, if they like you. But I don't think it's unrealistic. Like, I, I I think that's realistic. A lot of the people I speak to, who've had abortions, you know, in places like Texas, where they they traveled out of state, they didn't tell anyone, like hmm. really anyone, um, not their family, not their friends, because there was this overwhelming feeling of I will be judged, even though um, the circumstances were such that it was necessary to save their life. And so, I think that's a really it's a it's a real thing that people have this fear of of losing their community, losing their friends, and if you're in a place like Texas, you could be sued. <laughs> so that's right. like that's a whole right. other thing.
1: Right, That's so true. So yeah, I I do think it makes sense to, um, when she does talk to her son, ask him to keep it private, but be very clear that the reason is like a practical one. Mm -hmm. It's not because of shame. It's not because it's like an emotional, intense, sad thing. It's because there are some people out there who would you know, want to do things that harm us or our family if they knew this, unfortunately. So that's why it's private, not because like mom is ashamed or embarrassed.
2: Right, exactly. And that's just another indication of why this issue is so important and why we want to talk to you about it, because isn't it a shame that like we Mm -hmm. can't have these open conversations?
1: You're listening to The Dear Prudent Show. And when we come back, we'll be reading more of your letters. Stay with us.
4: Adultish is back, and this season, we're talking about standing up and learning how to take a stand for issues on the minds of young people, like book bans.
1: The book banning side,
2: they
4: have an incredibly well-oiled machine. Filling in food deserts. We have three community colleges where we either provide food boxes or an actual operating farmer's market. And what's affecting young people's mental and emotional health.
2: Pressures of school, friendships, romantic relationships— Pressures from family.
4: New episodes of Adultish from YR Media drop every Thursday, so subscribe wherever you're listening now.
5: On Death, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things.
4: I developed an illness where it isn't
3: safe for me to drive. A friend once said to me Sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving.
5: Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts.
1: Welcome back to Dear Prudence. I'm here with my guest, Jessica Valenti, to answer your letters. And the next one is titled, Empowered Slob's Spouse.
4: My wife and I, together for five years and married for three, are expecting our first child in February. And we just found out we're having a girl. My wife is incredibly beautiful, talented, sexy, intellectual, fiercely loyal, kind to animals, and basically perfect, except she is a huge slob. We often joke that she's a slut in the original sense of the word, i.e. a bad and lazy housekeeper. She keeps her clothes in piles on the bedroom floor that she refers to as her floor drobe, which also doubles as a giant luxurious cat bed. She would happily eat cold sandwiches or take out for every meal if I didn't cook. If I don't want to live with grimy bathrooms, a sink full of dishes and tumbleweeds of dust and cat hair blowing everywhere, I have to stay on top of it myself, which I do and don't mind doing if that's the price of being with her. I was single for over a decade before we met and it all but despaired over ever falling in love or having a family. The only thing that irritates me is when she justifies herself by claiming she's fighting back against centuries of unfair domestic expectations of women, or that being a female quote, art monster, you know, a creative artist who neglects everything in their life apart from their work, makes her rare and special. Her parents are a doctor and a lawyer, and she grew up with nannies and cleaning ladies. I grew up with a hardworking single mom, and I got used to pitching in to keep things running from an early age. She's an adult and entitled to her own choices, but... I hope I'm not being out of line by not wanting her teaching our daughter that it's cool and feminist to be a slob. How can I push back and hopefully instill all our kids with basic housekeeping skills without getting into a verbal war about the historic imbalance of household responsibilities in other couples that doesn't remotely apply to our actual lives?
1: Okay, so Jessica, a couple of pieces you've written in the past. Don't marry a man who doesn't vacuum. That's one headline. Men think they do equal work at home when facts show otherwise. That's another one. Women are better at housework, but men sure are better at avoiding it. You've also recently pushed back on the whole TikTok trend that was romanticizing 1950s oh, housewives. I that. Um, yeah, you said, what better way to quiet the next generation of girls growing up in a country without reproductive rights than to tell them it's actually progress? They're making sexism aspirational. So with all that in mind... The whole thing about fighting back against centuries of unfair domestic expectations of women. Is there anything to that? No, I mean, this honestly,
2: this (laughs) is my nightmare. I like, I actually sort of admire her a little bit for this, like making the patriarchy work for her where it's like, oh no, like I just can't do this. Like that's patriarchal. That's sexism. I really, I'm just like a vanguard and I'm going to buck against the system. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, no, I can't. I can't get behind that. I just, I just can't. Like, you can be a feminist and and still be a good partner. And I, I can appreciate the idea of like, I am not going to let this overtake my life. I am not going to let myself feel judged or be judged based on how clean my house is. Or I get that, and I think that that is very powerful. But I don't think there's there's anything specifically feminist about like shirking your responsibilities and making your, making your partner do them. <laughs> um,
1: and you should be transparent and come out as a little bit of a clean freak, right? I, I am a
2: little bit of a clean freak. I'm a little bit of a so clean So you freak.
1: and my husband, Joel have bonded over yeah. that, that you guys are always just kind of wiping something, just yeah. constantly yeah. wiping something down. Yeah. We call it ABW, always be wiping. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how we are. Like,
2: I just, I can't, I mean, the idea of, of the floor drobe, just like really gave me a pit in my mm-hmm. stomach like it was just it was just too much but again i appreciate the ingenuity of co- you know coming out and saying it's a feminist act but yeah like um, she tried she tried she tried it was <laughs> it was it was a good try but that doesn't work for me
1: so i noticed um he said the only thing that irritates him is the way she justifies being a slob as being feminist so I'm understanding that he would be okay with doing everything if she were to say, you know, I'm so messy. I hate this about myself. I can't keep up with my big pile of clothes. Um, thank you so much for doing all the cleaning. Yeah. Kids, please thank dad for doing all the cleaning. It's important. So I don't even know if, if this is about feminism. It just feels like cleanliness incompatibility, right? I think so. I
2: think it is. But I understand what he's saying where it's like, I'm doing all this stuff and you're going to make it out like you're some big feminist hero mm-hmm. for, for letting me do all this stuff. But I also don't think – I don't think there's a way for him to talk to her about this um, – that that centers feminism right like that's mm-hmm. not an argument i think a man is going to win and i and i don't think it gets to the to the heart of it i do think he can say like i understand what you're saying about you know bucking norms and you know wanting to do things differently and i want to raise our you know daughter differently as well but this is how this impacts me personally i think bringing it to the to the personal rather than you know just the political um is the way to go and also you know, if, if she is passing this lesson on to her daughter, she's doing her daughter a disservice with any future partners mm-hmm. who you don't know what their gender is going to be. Right. right. And so like, what does that mean for her, her daughter's future
1: relationships? Or what if her daughter isn't in a relationship and has no one to clean right, for Right. That's her? a, that's a big problem. <laughs> that's a thing that happens. So I don't know. I wonder if he could just approach his wife I think this is not that hard because he Mm. doesn't actually want her to do a lot more. Right. He just wants her to frame her not doing as much a little differently. So, I think he maybe just needs to ask for her support here. Like, Mm. it's okay if you think being an art monster is great, but, you know, our kids may not have spouses. We don't want them to live in filth if they live on their own, so can we work together on sending them a message that cleanliness is not worthless and that it has some value, you know, I think that's reasonable.
2: I think it's totally reasonable. And also, honestly, if he really wants to be sort of underhanded about it and like, like knife her a little bit with the, with the feminist comment, he (laughs) can, he can say something of like, don't you think if you're sort of sending the message that cleanly cleanliness is worthless, that that is sort of disparaging all of these women who have Mm. really, you know, had to take this on,
1: um, and That's was, good, Jessica. Right? You're someone who's been fighting with people <laughs> on the internet for a long time. Because you really came up with a good response. Just a
2: little bit. But, you know, it's like you're you're sending the message. You're being dismissive of this, like, traditionally mm-hmm. feminine endeavor, which is not helpful to anyone and certainly not helpful to, to feminism.
1: I love that. I love that. I hope he takes that right back to her. <laughs> this is Dear Prudence. We need to take a break. But when we come back... More letters from you and advice from us. Stay tuned. I'm Janae and you're listening to Dear Prudence. Jessica and I are about to tackle our last question for the day.
6: Jessica, you ready?
1: I'm ready. Okay, it's titled Keep Your Religion.
6: Many years ago, my spouse and I were very close friends with another couple during the years that we all lived in the same city. We even vacationed together. We all eventually moved to other places, but remained friendly and would occasionally meet up in our respective cities when passing through. They were always more religious and conservative than us, but we had healthy and respectful disagreements. Fast forward a decade, and they became Ultra religious and ultra conservative. They picket abortion clinics. They would never be friends with a queer person. And after years of fertility struggles, they adopted a seven year old child and changed their name to something more biblical. At seven, We ceased to recognize them and avoided meeting up unless they made the effort and it was convenient for us, but we kept in touch through social media. Years after the friendship had already weakened, I became pregnant. I am obsessed with data, contingencies, and talking things through. I knew I would abort my pregnancy if my fetus were destined for a short and painful life. I also knew I would not be friends with people who would deprive me of this basic human right or judge me for discussing this real, albeit statistically unlikely, possibility. Like, I didn't even want them to know about my pregnancy from social media. So I ghosted them. I unfriended them, blocked their numbers, didn't respond to email, etc. I had a high-risk pregnancy and needed to get through it with minimal stress, and the thought of talking to them or even writing a letter raised my already high blood pressure. I know it bothered them because they went so far as to send letters addressed to us to members of my family because they didn't have our most recent address. Ultimately, I know I did what was right for my health and sanity. I survived the dangerous experience of creating life, and our baby is healthy and wonderful. For what it's worth, my spouse is also a loyal loner who supported my approach read them and our pregnancy and thinks I've already wasted too much time thinking about this. But every time I read an article about ghosting, I wonder if I'm being too easy on myself. Did I owe them something?
1: You know, I think it, it would have been better to say something before cutting them off, but it's also totally fine. In fact, I think you ghosted them a little too late. You probably should have done it right about when they gave the seven-year-old a new name. That would have been my unfriend moment right there. But yeah, that would have been that would have been a good time.
2: I still, though, I, I was sort of thinking about this, and I feel like a letter would not be totally uncalled for, not because she owes them something, mm. but because it's actually good for bigots and assholes to know that there are social consequences to being bigots and assholes. Um, and I... I would like to think that maybe they understand that that is why they started to separate, but if they don't, that might not be the worst thing for them to know that, that there was a reason and a, and a consequence for, you know, being terrible.
1: That is a very good point. And to be clear, this is not a case of, you know, they have bad politics, but they're great people, which I don't even even believe that story, but I know a lot of people do. They are out there actively antagonizing and harassing women at a vulnerable moment. They're objectively awful people. I think once someone does that, you don't owe them anything. 100%. 100%. but I love your point that like you could have made this worse for them <laughs> by let, <laughs> by letting them know you were they were terrible. How can I make this worse for these people Like that is all I ever want I mean
2: I honestly like I had this experience with one side of my entire family after um, the after Trump was elected where like I had to make this like really deliberate decision all of these like cousins and everyone who moved to Florida and be, became evangelical. like it wasn't just that I unfriended them like I wanted them to know why um Mm -hmm. and you know maybe they didn't care but i think they did and you know and we saw a lot of that actually after the election right where all of these people like all these trump supporters were so mad about being unfriended and like people wouldn't hang out with them so obviously and people didn't want to date them on dating people didn't want to date them right like shaming works like social shaming really is very effective and so in as much as you care about like sticking it to people like that a little bit or like hopefully maybe one day making them realize that, you know, they were being terrible. It's not the worst Yeah. And I
1: I mean, I know there's a school of thought out there. That's like the important thing is that we listen to each other and have conversations. Um, But letter writer, if you were in that camp, you would know it. And you would have been like intrigued about the idea of sitting down and talking to these people about what it was like to like go up and scream in the face of a woman who was about to get an abortion and how that made them feel. And you could agree to disagree about whether that was great or not great. Um, I don't think you're that person. So I, I wouldn't spend any time worrying about what you owe them. What I would suggest is trying not to get into this situation again. And by that, I mean, take stock of the people who are your friends now and before it gets to like a major point of conflict based on something in your personal life, kind of evaluate whether you like them and their values and who they are. And if you want to keep up that acquaintance relationship or social media relationship, it's okay to pull away from someone before your personal decisions directly conflict with like their politics and their actions. You can pull back just because you have different values and you don't think they're great people. I love it. Great. Great. Those are all the questions we have for this week. It's been fun and hopefully helpful. Thank you, Jessica.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Read and subscribe to Jessica's Substack, Abortion Every Day, at jessica.substack.com. It's all things abortion, feminist commentary, and community. You can also follow her on TikTok at Killjoy. Do you need help getting along with partners, relatives, coworkers, and people in general? Write to me. Go to slate.com forward slash prudie. That's slate.com forward slash P-R-U-D-I-E. The Dear Prudence column publishes every Thursday.
2: If you'd like to hear your question answered on the podcast, we're looking for letter writers who would be comfortable recording their questions for the show. You can stay anonymous.
1: Dear Prudence is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks with a special thanks to Maura Curry. Editorial help from Paola De Verona. Daisy Rosario is Senior Supervising Producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of Audio. I'm your dear Prudence, Janae Desmantaris. Until next time. Thank you so much for being a Slate Plus member. And since you're a member, you get the awesome perk of a weekly segment where I'll be answering an extra question. That's right you get even more prudy. This week, I'm joined by Slate's own Joel Anderson. He is the host of Slow Burn Seasons 3, 6, and our current season, Season 8, on Clarence Thomas. Or you may know him from Slate's sports podcast, Hang Up and Listen. He also happens to be my husband. This letter is titled, Scorned Bridesmaid.
7: My friend asked me to be a bridesmaid in her wedding, and I agreed. I now work shift work and rotate shifts every few months. When I rotated to midnight shift, I made sure to let her know that I wouldn't be able to hang out as often and would likely be texting less because I'd be working and sleeping at odd hours. In the past, she has taken on additional assignments at her job and been largely unavailable for a couple of months. And also, her fiance does shift work and occasionally travels to areas where he's unavailable to even talk or text, sometimes for days or weeks at a time. So I figured she would be understanding. A couple of weeks ago, she texted me to ask me how I felt about being in her wedding. It was a long message, and the tone of it read like she was trying to get me to drop out without having to ask me. I was a little shocked because the bridesmaid group chat hadn't been active at all since a lot of the logistics had been decided, and I hadn't heard anything about it from her either. I said that I was still in and asked her if I had missed something. She then sent me a long message about how I had been distant and weird for a while and started to cite specific times I hadn't texted her back or been able to hang out over the past few months. After trying to explain and meeting more of the same I gave in and let her know that I didn't want her wedding to be about anything but the relationship between her and her fiancé, and I told her that it was up to her whether she still wanted me to be a bridesmaid. She never responded. It's been weeks. I'm still confused. My only stake in being in her wedding was wanting to support her, and I tried to be as upfront and honest about my schedule as soon as I knew it. I was also frustrated by my odd hours and their impact on my social life, but it was short-term. The most frustrating thing is that I stopped working those hours a week later and have tons of free time now. Where did I go wrong here?
1: So a couple of things going on here. I think one Mm -hmm. of them is the wedding industrial complex Mm -hmm. and how it makes people who are getting married, in particular brides, um, feel like they are the most important person in Mm -hmm. everyone's life for Mm -hmm. Six months to eighteen months before the wedding. Yeah, it's a really hard feeling to escape. Like I feel like planning for a wedding um, changed me. Really? Yeah. Say more. You know, I didn't even want to have a real wedding.
3: Right in the we beginning, were get married at the San Francisco City Hall. Yeah. And have like a brunch.
1: Yeah, and then we decided to like rent a venue for the brunch, and the guy was like, "You realize you could save house here too, <laughs> <laughs> and it would pretty much cost the same." And next thing you know, we were having a totally regular wedding. But I wasn't a very, like, bridey person. I think Mm -hmm. going through the whole process kind of turned me into one. Really? Like, by the end, I was sort of in the mindset of, well, it is my special day.
3: Well, you did have more opinions about, like, flowers and music by the end than you started out
1: with, I think. I never had opinions about flowers. Mm -hmm. That's why our wedding planner brought them. (laughs) There's, like, these two random flower pots of -hmm. red flowers that don't match anything.
3: Well, I guess that's right. Well, you had, okay, maybe I'll just say music.
1: Music. Yeah, I suggested, what, like, 97 songs?
3: I mean, not just, like, you know. We don't have to have Jagged Edge, Let's Get Married. It's <laughs> oh. not really an appropriate song for This is
1: funny. So Joel and I have an ongoing um, – I don't want to say it's a dispute because I'm not mm-hmm. really in it. But mm-hmm. Joel has ongoing commentary about how the songs I chose for our like wedding reception and dinner playlist – I wildly inappropriate. I didn't realize that you were supposed to scrutinize the lyrics yeah, to make okay. sure that they were I, so speaking people, positively about relationships. Know,
3: there's, there's a clip of our friends on Instagram singing Donnell Jones "Where I Want to Be," which is about a man who wants to leave his woman <laughs> so he can go out <laughs> and have as much sex as possible. They're singing that song at our at our wedding reception.
1: I thought you picked songs yeah, for yeah. just the feelings they evoke. Oh, I think it evokes great feelings. Anyway, so anytime a song comes on that's like about cheating or you know sadness, he's like. I can't believe this song was on our wedding playlist. You, you,
3: you should think about how many of those songs were actually on the wedding playlist. I mean, you spent a lot of time coping <laughs> to cultivate the right vibe.
1: People don't write love songs about just like positivity. There's, sure very, few. There's very few.
3: There's very few. Anyway.
1: Back to the issue at hand. Right. Um, I think this bride, just, you know, making up a fact pattern here, I can imagine yep. that this bride felt like, you know, all these people are in my wedding. They should be actively contacting me and asking what they can do and being excited and This person, obvious letter writer, obviously cares more about her job. Um, She's barely communicating. She says she's so busy with work. Like we all have work. It's not. It's not that exciting. And you know, I guess she doesn't care. So I'm just going to tell her to drop out.
3: Yeah, that's probably what happened. I mean, and I don't know how young these people are, and I don't want to make any like generalizations about young people. But I think if you get married, and especially very young to your point, it's very easy to fall into, hey man, everybody's supposed to be doing everything for me. And it's also kind of like the first time in your life that you're a project manager Hmm. because you're you hiring all these people to do stuff for you. Oh, that's so true. And you got to keep up with them. Like, okay, is the venue going to be, the dresses, all this other stuff. So yeah, you're right. It's very easy to sort of fall into, everybody's supposed to be serving me. So friend, like you didn't do anything wrong. Your friend is being sort of typical in this scenario. But the issue is that, you're gonna have to find out if you're in the wedding or not. Still, right? Like I right. Mean, you don't even you wrote this letter to us, but we don't even know if you're in the wedding. And that then once you know that, then that's when the advice can start, right?
1: I think you have to pick up the phone and get clarity. Am right. I in or am I out?
3: Yeah, like I just need to know.
1: And say you're okay with being out. Um, you also don't say how close of a friend this is. You definitely don't say this is your best friend. So you could have just been like an acquaintance who was an add-on. Mm-hmm. Um, who f- And now she's being pressured to have her cousin in the wedding. Any number of things could be going on. I would say when it comes to weddings, try not to take anything personally because there are so many forces at play. Oh. Money, parents, um, image, expectations.
3: But you're saying that, but you know that we take these things personally. We talk about it all the time about <laughs> people who didn't show up. This <laughs> is very hard to not take this sort of stuff yeah, personally. Yeah, no, it is. Like you're just not going to. So the thing is, is like, Be willing to put on a good face.
1: Yes. Yes. Be Be, willing to put on a good face. And
3: then this is, we've done this before on a plus segment many months ago. Hmm. I was like,
1: they kind of test
3: out your feelings. You're at the wedding, Mm. see how you feel about not being included or Mm -hmm. who you were, who may have replaced you with the lineup and then sort of test it out. But I I think to your point, your broader point is that if you were really good friends, if you were really tight friends, there wouldn't be any of this like, uh,
1: Confusion. That confusion. Yeah, yeah totally. Would be, I would have
3: been sorted out. So maybe you're not as good a friends as you
1: think you are. Yeah. And the relationship can just evolve mm-hmm. downward yeah. from here.
3: That's probably what's going to happen.
1: Yeah. Thank you again for being a Slate Plus member. The Dear Prudence podcast would not be possible without you. Until next time.